thank you so much for tuning in to Northridge Church Podcast. We're so glad to have you as part of our weekly service. For more information, please visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your hearts as we dive into God's Word. And if you go back to the days of Noah, which the Bible reflects to oftentimes, saying that the in the days in which we live, or the final days, will be much like they were in the time of Noah. That in that time, the Bible says that there was evil and there was imaginations that were on men's minds continually. That what men were thinking of at that point in time was the putridness, the evilness, their fantasies and all of the things that that you and I can fathom. That was what men, they were meditating on. And God, because he's holy, he could not look upon that anymore. But there was one man named Noah who found favor in the sight of God. Noah is a picture today of the church, the one who are favored by God. And so with that, watch what happens. He made a way out for that one righteous one. Now, with that, I want you to kind of go with me, if you will, through the process. He told him, he said, I want you to build an ark. And we know that it took him 120 years. And that in building the ark, everyone repelled him. Everyone thought he was completely insane. And if you know the story, the Bible says that it had never rained up until that point in time. So when he said that it's going to rain and people would walk by, perhaps, if you could kind of unfold maybe what the dialogue would have looked like. As they came by, I said, man, crazy Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm building a boat. Why are you building a boat? You're so far from the ocean. Oh, it's going to rain and the waters are going to burst forth out of the subterranean waters and and it's going to flood. And they thought this man was a complete idiot. No one helped him. No one joined his church, if you will. 120 years, he preached the same message. And the message was that of, of repentance. The message was that of turning away from evil and turning to holiness. And throughout the process, the reason they mocked him is because they never heard of rain. Do you know that's the same thing going on today? People say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible, so it can't be something that we have to worry with. Well, keep in mind, the word Trinity is not in the Bible either. But we understand that the concept of Trinity or the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit exist in every facet of the Bible. The word rapture means to be called up. So if you look at that, we see that that would be much like the word rain in that context. It never rained before. So, but you know the story as it unfolds. They built an ark. And of course, two by two, the animals, and then seven by some of the clean and unclean would come into the ark. And watch what happens. When they got into the boat, the Bible says that God shut the door, implying that God was the doorway into the ark. The ark was the way of hope. The ark was the thing that would actually protect them from the wrath that would follow. Now watch what happens. When the subterranean waters burst forth, you can imagine that all of the people that were left started seeing these waters come from all over the place. And now they began to beat on the door of the ark, let us in. Not only could Noah not open the door, but he had no, no way to open it. God had closed it. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the way in. I'm the gate. And he talks about it in the context of shepherd and sheep relationship. And, and that any, any man would be in me, any man in Christ, he's a new creature. See, they didn't get just, just on top of the boat. They got in the boat. And then what's what happens when the rains begin to fall from the sky and can you imagine the, the turmoil and the tumult and the screaming and the shouting and the fear that set in at that moment, 120 years, they've been hearing this man talk about it. Don't you know that they were much like us today? They had become so cynical seeing all that wood piled up and seeing all this pitch that was being slapped upon this vessel for what? For something they didn't believe was ever going to happen. But on the day that it rained, watch what happens. The very thing that's destroying everything by way of rain They're in the boat. The boat rose above the very thing that was destroying everyone beneath. 
It's much like the rapture of the church. As God begins to pour his holy wrath upon this world, we're going to be called up. We're going to rise up to be with him in the air. We're going to rise above that. It's a, it's a type. And you can see that unfolding also there, but you see it again in Sodom and Gomorrah. Once again, he sees the putridness of man. He sees the, the, the evilness. He sees all of the sodomy and the homosexuality and all the things that are unfolded. Go read it. If you don't understand that, just unfold it and see for yourselves. It's, it's really a cross-section of our culture today. And God, could, once again, cannot look upon unholiness. But he didn't just destroy everything. In fact, he had a dialogue with Lot. And he said, you know, I'm going to destroy everything. And, of course, Lot says, well, what if I can find 50? He said, yeah, sure, I, I won't even destroy it if you can find 50. And then 40. And then he begins to realize there's no one. There's no one righteous. Of course, Lot was. But he allowed, watch this, he allowed Lot to get out before he poured fire and brimstone upon the nation. See, every single time in, in history... God has always made a way out. Aren't you glad of that, that he makes a way out? That he makes a way out before he ever unleashes his holy wrath upon a people. Guys, the time in which we live today is really not complicated. If you study apocalyptic literature, if you study Luke, if you study Matthew, if you study Daniel, if you study Revelation, people are so afraid of that language. But apocalypse doesn't mean zombies and things of that nature. The word apocalypse literally means unveiling. And there's two types of unveiling. There's both the, you think about apocalyptic literature like Revelation. It's not just the revelation of end times. It's the revelation of of the bride of Christ to the groom. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, isn't it? And the apocalypse is both the unveiling of the mystery of the end times. Let me tell you something. If God wanted us to know the day and the hour and the moment, he would have told us. The reason I believe that we don't know that is because think about how we would live our life if we knew the day, the hour, the moment. You know what we would do? We would pour everything into that moment. We would become more and more holy as the day approached, wouldn't we? We would live like crazy people out here because we got two or three, four, five or six years down. But the closer we got, we'd start walking like this and yes, holier than that. God wants you to be that all the time. He wants you to live, not just like this may be your last day, but it might be a hundred years before. It doesn't matter. Live for Christ, live as Christ, walk as Christ walked today. And if he'd have wanted you to know, he would have told us. So we don't date set. We don't sit here and go, well, let's do the math. However, there are some very key things we do need to unfold as we understand the word of God. There's several key components to prophecies that have been unveiled. There's certain things that have happened throughout the times of the Jewish people, but for 2,500 years, the Jewish people were dispersed. Okay, they were dispersed out of the Holy Land for 2,500 years. But watch this. Within the last 70 or 80 years, they have been brought back to their Holy Land. I'm going somewhere, so remember that 70 or that 80. Just want to show you something. I want to paint a picture for you. In 1948, on May the 14th, Israel in one day became a nation. Now, why is that important? Because the Bible says that that, 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 that that part of Israel would rebud, that it would become a new nation, that olive branch would rebud, it would create itself again. For 2,500 years, they've been dispersed. Now, this is profound when I read this. For 2,500 years, they lived in other nations, and yet the Jewish culture never died. The Jewish culture never wavered. That's never happened in history before. When the Roman government dispersed and every other government of Syria, when every other government failed, when every other nation has ever fallen, watch what happened. It it did not continue. It went away. The culture went away. The paradigms went away. The history just almost dissolved as if it didn't even matter. But the Jewish culture has remained. Why? Because it's God's people. It's God's chosen path. 
both to the Savior as well as the restoration of the kingdom. Now, as we progress forward, we also see that I believe it was in 1967, there was another profound moment in time. There was a six-day war in which the Arab nations were coming against Israel, and they were beaten in six days. Unbelievable how this small little tiny nation, Israel, has never, ever, ever lost a battle. Do you know why? Because it's God's chosen people. And in the Six-Day War, they got to occupy for the first time in 2,500 years. Not only did they just come back home, but now they occupied Jerusalem and Israel as the as the capital city. So now we see that all of them have been coming back just in 1948, 1967. And they've all started converging back to their holy land. And look at the wars and look at the controversy. Look at the battle. Look at the most holy place, which is the Dome of the Rock, which, by the way, is not only the most holy place for the Jewish people, but it's also the most holy place for the Muslim people. It is the very spot that that, that, that the people, the Muslim faith, believe that Muhammad ascended to Allah. And today it is occupied by the holiest place of the Muslim faith, yet it's the very spot in which the temple set. There's discussions right now through the European Union about a one-world economy. There's, a concert, there's conversations right now about what one-world government would look like through the European Union. There's conversations about rebuilding the temple, and hey, maybe we don't build it on that very spot, but maybe we just come off the eastern wall and we build it right there. All of these things are lining up, but nothing more profound, nothing, 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 please hear me, more profound than the fact in 1948 of May the 14th when Israel became a nation. That started the final clock. The final clock that you're going to hear in just a moment, in which case Jesus said that this generation will not pass, that will not see the coming of the Son of Man. Now, then begs the question of what is a generation? There's a lot of answers that you may get from that. Some say it's 120 years because of what was said in Genesis 6. But I believe that not to be true because I think the issue more than likely was dealing with a time frame that we find out through Moses later, which was somewhere between 70 and 80 years. Now, if you want to do the math and add that to 1948, help yourself, you'll get to your, you'll get to a place very much in which we live right now, not 2018 to somewhere 2022 ish. What we do know to be true, though, is a couple of things. And I'm going to show you here in just a minute. Before 1900, communication was done by writing or by people talking. From 1900 forward, you see this birthing of technology from the telegraph, from the telephone, to the fax machine, to to computers, to now, for the first time ever, We can talk to somebody around the world in another part of the country instantly. Think about that for a minute. From the beginning of time to 1900, none of it existed. But the last hundred years, it has taken off and propelled itself. Think about transportation. From the beginning of time up into 1900, if man wanted to travel, he traveled by his feet or by horseback. 1900 forward, you see the birthing of the automobile. You see uh, trains in 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright put man in a plane for the first time in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And then you hear of the supersonic jet. Then 1969, we flew to the moon and now we've flown far beyond that. Guys, if you can't see and identify that something profound has shifted just in the last century. 
Now with that, it's so important to understand something beyond just the churchy language that we have. And that's truly understanding that the word of God that we read today is written by Jewish people. It's written to Jewish people. And you guess it is written about, say it with me, Jewish people. So to truly understand the word of God, we have to understand Hebrew culture. For example, if I truly want to understand what's going on today in in the context of the church and Jesus, we're the bride of Christ and he's the groom, then I would really want to study and understand, and I have, that I would want to understand a Hebrew marriage. What would it look like in Jewish customs? Let me explain it to you very briefly. What would happen is there would be a bride that the groom-to-be wanted. And he couldn't just go and ask for her hand in marriage. That would have been completely contrary to the custom. What would have happened is the father of that groom-to-be would have had to go to the father of the bride, potential bride, and would ask her, what is it that you require? What is the dowry? What is the payment to receive her as a bride for my son because here's what happened today in our culture we don't think much about it when stephanie married me she dropped her her father's last name her heritage everything she was and she put my name on we don't think about that that much this day and time but back then that was a big deal that meant that she left the home she and oftentimes never came back never had much association with them she was no longer part of that family but now a part of the the groom in which she married and his father's family that's why we see today even taking the groom's name Once they determine a dowry or a cost for some poor girls, it could have been a goat. Okay, that's not really a cool image of a woman being bought by from a goat. That's not really cool. But it could have been a sheep herd. It could have been land. It could have been anything. But once they would agree on on a dowry, then they would go back and they would earn that money in order to afford it and go pay it. Once that was done, a contract was signed called a betrothal. Once that betrothal was signed then it was at that moment it became legally binding as a relationship. Just as legally binding as marriage, except for one thing. It had not been consummated yet. So there's three things to remember in the Hebrew marriage. There is the courtship itself. There's the contract, the consummation, and then there's the celebration. Okay, so there's the contract, the consummation, and the celebration. So what happened was once he determined that, then watch this. Don't miss this. And I'm just going to put it together. Then what would happen is the groom and his father, he would go back to his father's property and he had to prepare a home, had to build a house. He had to save money and he had to do all of this under the father's watchful eye. So he would go to the father's property and he would erect a house and it may have taken him years. The length of time, watch this, this blew my mind when I studied this. Do you know what the maximum length of time it was for a boy from the time he asked a girl to marry him and the dowry was paid? Do you know what the maximum amount of time it was before he had to have the house ready? Seven years. I'll come back to that in a minute. So then he would go, once it was done, he would go to his father and he would show that the house was ready. He would show that he had the money. He would show that he could, could actually raise a family, everything that had to be in place. And then and only then the father would look at the son and he would say, now go get your bride. But he would not go get the bride. There would be people that would go get the bride for him. They would bring him and he would meet her halfway. As the bride came halfway to meet the groom, then they would go back to the father house, which would start a week of festivity, seven days. How'd you like to have a wedding like that? Seven days, in which time they would be fully married, 
The father would approve of it. The father would have actually endorsed it. There would have been a a signing. There would have been a lot of other things that they would have done. And then they could go into the husband's quarters and consummate the marriage relationship. But that wasn't the end, but yet the beginning of the festivities. Then there was a marriage supper that would take days where they would just eat and they would celebrate. And then watch this. Then at the end of it all, the, the bride would actually bring gifts and would lay them down at the groom's feet. See, he paid for her, but now she's been saving up along the way too, and she would lay them at his feet, a sign of adoration, a sign of respect. You see, when we look at the context of Jesus, who is our groom, who told the Father, now keep in mind there's a lot of symbolism here, but I want you to get this, that if there would have been a dialogue in heaven, That in the beginning of all time, the Father and the Son would have had a conversation. We know Holy Spirit would have been there as well. And the conversation would have been, I want this for my bride. I want the church for my bride. Great. So he being the father of the son, also being the father of the church, he would turn and determine a dowry. That dowry that was determined was his own life. He had to pay for her with his own life. That far extends the cost of a goat, wouldn't you say? But then at that point, at that moment, then there was a time frame that would have happened, in which case there would have been a contract. In this case, contracts would have been signed in blood. Jesus would have signed the contract for the dowry in which he was purchasing us with his own blood, i.e. the cross. John 14 says that he goes to prepare a place for you. He goes to the father's house. He goes to prepare a place. The Bible indicates, and I want you to get this, that the father only knows the day, the hour, the time that he's going to come back for that the, that the son will be sent for the bride. Now I've heard people say all along will say, well, that means that Jesus is less than God then, right? No, absolutely not. But what's happened is so that we can put our finite mind around something that is infinitely incomprehensible. They have a father-son relationship so that we can wrap our mind around it as it's marrying with the the Hebrew culture. Because they would have understood this a lot more than you and I would have. So what the son has done, Jesus, and we see this in Philippians 2, he being equal with God, though he didn't feel that being equal with God was within his grasp, he humbled himself even to the point of the cross. But guess what? He humbled himself beyond that in the context of saying, it's not like Jesus sitting up there going, Daddy, please tell me when I can go get him. It's not like that. It's just marrying to the Hebrew culture. That Jesus is in heaven, and there's a day coming Because I believe with all of my heart that everything has been put in its exact proper place. Everything. And that only thing that has to happen is the father say to the son, go get your bride. In which case there would be a shofar that would sound out from heaven. The trump of God in this case. That would sound out. There was two reasons the shofar would sound out. One would be for a battle cry. We even emulate that today, don't we, with, with um, the trumpet in, in, in battles. It started back in this first, first century and has emulated itself all the way through today. And the trumpet, well, the second reason the shofar would sound is for a wedding to begin. It's the birthing of a new day. 
a new generation, a new hope. And then Jesus is not going to come all the way to this earth, but he's going to step out of the portals of glory and he's going to stand on the clouds. How can he do that? Because he's God. He's going to call us up to be with him in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. There's no chance to settle your affairs. There's no chance to redeem your friends. There's no chance to get things right. That's why we have to be mindful of. That's why this matters. This doesn't matter. So you can go to your calendar and put a date and say, that's the day Jesus is coming back. If that's what you want. I'm not going to be able to give you that. But what I will tell you is I'm going to live today like he can come right now. But I'm going to live tomorrow like he can come right now. And I'm going to live the next. I'm going to keep living hope that when he comes that I'm found faithful. Then I'm not only living a life that matters, but watch this. I hope and I pray that this should provoke you to go tonight and reconcile some things that are still burning in your spirit, some things that are still not right. You know, in the dark crevices of your world with the things that nobody knows that you can sort out tonight. That's why, because it's imperative that we're ready, that we're prepared if you want to truly understand that, read the, read the parable of the virgins that were waiting. Some had their lights on, some didn't. And that's a beautiful, no, I'll get in that tonight, but we need to be ready. We need to be ready for our groom. And I know as a guy, that's kind of like, I don't really understand that. Can't we just have a bridegroom relationship? I'll be the groom. No, we're the bride of Christ. But then when we go up to heaven, watch what happens. At that moment, somebody asked me the other day, what's going to happen in the, in the seven years of tribulation that are going to be unfolding here on earth? And Mark, how do you know we won't be here? I hear that all the time. How do you know we won't be here? I go back to what I said before. God has never, ever, ever pointed us to wrath, but unto salvation. Read that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen, he, when he saved you and redeemed you, how many of you, how many of you have kids? How many of you love them? Sometime? Okay. You would never, ever, ever appoint them under wrath. In fact, you would do anything you could to pull them out of that. And let me tell you something. If you love your kid that much and and, and you're flawed and you're sinful, how much the more does your father in heaven love you? Not to mention the fact that if I go through the law first mentioned and I show and unfold, once again, he always makes a way out. We get to heaven and during the seven years, watch this. Here on earth, there's going to be hell unfolding. Like never before and like never again. But while that's going on, we're going to be with him. What's going to be happening? There's going to be a a true consummation, an intimacy that we can't even fathom. People say, well, man, I can't wait till I get to heaven. I'm going to ask the apostle Paul, man, what was it like to be? No, you won't. Man, I can't wait till I can get to heaven and I'm going to talk to Moses. No, you won't. Man, I can't wait till I can talk to, you know, Shadrach, Meshach. You won't care because the only thing that will matter is that you're face to face with your Savior, with the hope of the world, the one who redeems you. None of that will matter. So the level of, has anybody ever just got a case of the can't help it? You know what I'm talking about? When you just got, the Lord just gets all over you and man, it's just overwhelming. And I'm not talking about a bunch of running across pews and slinging from chandeliers. I'm talking about just that overwhelming, just, God, you're so good. Thank you for loving me in spite of me. If you get a hint of that now, just think what it's going to be like when you see the one who hung the moon and the stars and set in place the, the ocean and, and, and all of the, the, the seasons and the, oh my gosh, I mean, I mean I'm going to be, I'm going to be on my face and he's going to lift me up and he's going, no, 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 you don't, you don't. He's going to hug me. He's going to embrace me. And so when we talk about the level of consummation, that's going to unfold. There's going to be a binding relationship at that point. And then starts the marriage supper of the lamb. The marriage supper of the lamb is going to be a feast. Are we really going to eat? Yeah, or else it wouldn't be heaven. 
How many of y'all like to eat? How many of y'all would like to eat whatever you want and not get fat? Can I get a witness? No, I really, I really, to be honest with you, I mean, I don't know if you ever studied that. I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know this. When Jesus came in his glorified body, he ate fried fish by the sea, seashore. Say amen. Because <laughs> you know that's God's all up in that. Um, so I don't know what that's going to look like, but I believe with all my heart. Well, there's, there's, we're talking about the dopamine this morning. You know when another time dopamine is released? When you start eating something that you really like. Do you, do you get tore up when you pull into Dairy Queen? You know what I'm talking about. He's like. I digress, but I, I believe that. I believe it's going to be amazing. And we're going to eat, and then watch this. Then there's going to be something called the Bema Seat of Christ, B-E-M-A, or the Judgment Seat of Christ. Now, here's the beauty of that Judgment Seat for you and I, the redeemed, the children of God, the bride of Christ. It is not a matter of in or out. It is not a matter of heaven or hell. It is not a matter of condemnation or welcoming in. It is only, watch this, it is only to fulfill that part of the Hebrew marriage, in which case we are offered an opportunity to be awarded certain crowns based on the works that we did here on earth for the glory of God and only for him that we're going to be given and we're going to be able to just stack them up in our mansion. No, we're not. We're going to be able to get them and then walk over to his feet and lay them at his feet because we showed up with something too. That's why it matters. That's why we give. That's why we serve. That's why we, we discern. That's why we hope. When, every time you lead somebody to Jesus, Man, you're storing yourself up a crown that you're going to be able to lay at the precious feet of Jesus. I don't, has anybody ever showed up at a, at, at a wedding without a gift? Anybody ever done that? It's, it's really probably not a good idea. You know, you just, kind of, you're supposed to show up with a gift. What I do is I just, I get my name tag and I write my name from Mark and Stephanie and I get a piece of tape and I just rip a piece of paper off and lay it on the table and they just feel like it fell on the floor. I'm kidding. I don't do that. That is a good idea though, isn't it? Let me read to you something that, that just Lord laid on my heart this week. Luke 21. Verse 5, it says, Some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Jesus said this in the time when he was speaking to his disciples. He said, Guys, let it be known, I will destroy the temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. They didn't understand that. Why would a guy tear down the temple, and how in the world would he possibly rebuild it? Of course, he was talking about himself being the temple, and he would die, and then three days later, he would get up. Here he's talking about not only referencing that, but he's also talking about, it's interesting how these men were, were looking at the, the glory and the splendor of the temple and the synagogues and worrying about the things that, that would be burned up in the, in the finality of all things. And he was saying, don't worry about that. There's going to be a time where all that stuff's just going to fall and decay and, and be nothing. Then he replied and he said, watch out that you're not deceived. It's interesting. He just, he just turns right and goes straight into the heart of the matter. He said, watch out that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he. And the time is near. Do not follow them. And then if I can kind of break that down. If you look into people like David Koresh in Waco, Texas. Declaring himself the Messiah. How many children and women and precious people followed this absolute lunatic. To the point finally where they had this altercation with ATF and many died. Just because this this guy, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, declaring himself to be the Messiah. And people are looking for that. They're wanting to believe something. They're wanting to grab onto it. He said, don't believe that. What about Jim Jones and the Guyana tragedy? 
A man who took a whole group of people, seven, eight hundred, a thousand people to a place named at Jonestown. They sold everything they had. They forsook their family. I mean, the, the future things that you don't even want me to talk about in here that occurred there under the auspices or the mask of him being the Messiah. And that if they do this and they do that, they'll be a part of him. And people believe that junk. And then at the very end, when they find out that they're being exposed, he has them drink a, a, a suicide case of, of cyanide and, and the Kool-Aid, if you will. And, and, and on and on and on and on and on. They're out there all over the place. And, he, and he's saying, he's saying, check it out. He said, watch out. Don't be deceived. Many are going to come doing that, claiming I am he and the time is near. Don't follow them. But then he goes on to see here. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars and uprisings, don't be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Survey our war history. I'm, I'm a history buff as it pertains to that. And, and as you look into World War One, look at the spans between World War One and World War Two. Look at the spans between World War II and, and Korea conflict. Look between Korea right there in the inter, interim and then into to Vietnam. And then look at Vietnam after that. There was, there was just a calm. I want you to go look at your history and look at 1990, 91, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and look at that moment forward. It has not stopped. And guess where it's all unfolding? In the Middle East. Guys, we're never leaving there. There will not be peace over there. But guess what? The very thing that they're praying for, peace in Israel. But once the peace treaty is signed in Israel, I promise you, I promise you, as sure as I'm sitting here, they'll sign one, and it'll only be a seven-year peace treaty. It's a false treaty. When you hear wars and rumors of wars, don't be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against nation. Are we living there, guys? I mean, never before have I seen the NFL commissioner fines young men for putting 9-11 on their cleats, but will at the same time let them kneel down or not even show up for the national anthem. There's something incredibly wrong there. And, and when police officers can't drive up to a window and just say, show me your license without them being cited a constitution, which is erroneously cited. Nation against nation, people against people, brother against brother, like never before. There'll be great earthquakes. Wow. As a kid coming up in school, we talked about earthquakes that happened and, and things that unfolded that were just never even heard of a tsunami until I was a grown man. Never heard of it. Talk about volcanoes erupting. We would talk about Pompeii, for goodness sakes. We wouldn't even talk about stuff. Now it's happening everywhere. Go, go pull up the, 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 what is, whoever studies the earthquake, the seismic something organization. You, it doesn't matter. Pull it up. It's there. Google it. Pull up most recent earthquakes all over the globe, guys. 7.1 in Mexico just a week or two ago. Go pull up the fault lines in America. Just America. Look at the Andres fault line that covers the entire western seaboard all the way down through, through California. And, and listen, people who are non-believers said that the tectonic plates that are shifting, pressing down on that, on that fault line, it's past due. And they're estimating an 8.3 or better. And when it does, the entire western seaboard is going to disappear. But the ramifications that... The, the dispersal of that is going to operate itself all the way over into Mississippi. 
famines and pestilences. Where does that come from? Look right now. Research it. Pull it up. Do you know what causes most of the pestilences and the famines? Do you know that in St. Martin today, they still don't know how they're going to get food in there? They're, they're, they're scrambling. They're rationing food and water and fuel. And when you have water that has come in by way of, of surges and tides, guess what? It leaves a water that leaves a stench and it creates a, 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 a bug infestation and things that are just never bo- it's happening right before our eyes. Fearful events and great signs from heaven. Holy moly. Seriously? I mean, we just, listen, there's two types of, of, of eclipses. There's the lunar eclipse. Anytime you see or hear anything inferring lunar activity, it's always speaking to or about, and biblical prophecy is speaking about Israel. Anytime, however, you hear anything about the sun dealing with eclipse, it's always dealing with the Gentiles. Guess what we just had just about a month ago? A full eclipse. Just before that, in the last year, two years, we've had a tetrad. Four lunar eclipse, i.e. blood moons, it won't happen again for a thousand years. But before all this in verse 12, they will seize you and persecute you. Christians today, like never before, are the laughing stock of an entire world. People today, and it kind of hits me today. Somebody said this to me in passing. Uh, and David, we've talked about this. Tyler, we talked yeah. People, do you realize if everybody that's coming to Northridge came at one time, we couldn't fit them in two of the buildings we have. But do you know why people aren't coming? They don't have to. They can pull it up on the internet. They can watch it. Live. Hey, praise God, man, that we're doing that. I'm not, I'm not knocking on you, brother. I'm just, just pointing. But why does that matter? It's because we will see that people no longer, listen, the people that hate us have a greater sense of urgency than us who should be urgency in our sense of loving them and sharing our faith. Had a guy call me crying just a few minutes ago. He said, man, right now I'm talking to a guy that's an atheist. Man, what do I tell him? What do you tell people that don't believe? Does it, does it matter? Can you lay your head down tonight? Just, ah, it doesn't bother me. Where's our sense of urgency? They will seize you and persecute you. Ryan, as y'all come, they will hand you over to synagogues and they will put you in prison. If you really want to get a handle of what's going on in the world around you, go to persecution.com and, and, and apply and subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs. I get it every single week on my computer. Today, right now, pastors that are in prison that you and I don't hear about on CNN or Fox News, it's not there. And let me tell you something, before we just discount that, here's what they're, here's what they're willing to do. They're willing not only to, to behead people, they're willing to, to put them over hot coals and make them renounce Christ and say, I don't believe in Jesus. And guess what these people are doing? They're being burned alive because they will not renounce the faith that they have in Christ. They will put you in prison. You know there are more nations on planet Earth today that it is illegal to possess a Bible than there are the ones that you can have one legally. David, you've been to where? China? I don't know what all y'all had to go through, but it's, it's a big deal, guys. China, Russia, India. I've been invited, I can't tell you how many times to go preach in India. And, and I, you know, I, unless the Lord gives me a piece about it, I mean, because I just, I just feel like they're trying to set me up. We went to Africa, same thing, just very difficult place. It says, you'll be brought before kings and governors on account of my name. And you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind 
Do not worry beforehand how you would defend yourselves. For I will give you the words and the wisdom none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed. Here it is. This, this sickens me. You'll be betrayed by even parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, friends. And they will even put some to death. You know, the gospel will do, it'll separate father, son, brother, daughter, sister. It separates. Because when you sell out for Jesus and people don't get it, they ostracize you. They put you out. I know David can attest to this. I know I could when I was a youth pastor. There's some kids that come probably on Wednesday night. Mom and dad could care less if they're here, if they're there, if they don't even care. Abortions. Just killing innocent babies left and right. No one cares. And I don't say that to imply that you don't, but nothing's being done. Everyone will hate you because of me. But I love this. But not one hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. He's really implying there that you won't die second death. But even if you die, how many of you know that if you die, you have heaven for a home? What can they do to me when I know that? When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, <laughs> there again, look at what's going on, guys. It's all converging right there in that one little place. You will know that the desolation is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the city get out. Let those who are in the country not enter the city, speaking, of course, of Jerusalem. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and they will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That will be the church age. There will be signs in the sun, moons in the stars. On the earth, nations will anguish and perplexity at the roaring of the tossing of the sea. Really? Check it out. Look at the hurricanes, man. Unlike ever before. People will faint from terror apprehension of what's coming depression anxiety like never before that was not even an issue a hundred years ago at that time they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory when these things here it is begin to take place stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh he said look at the fig tree and all the trees when they sprout leaves you can see them for yourselves that the summer is near Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Here it is. When that tree begins to bud again, that was the creation of the nation of Israel. Then he says in verse 32, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful of your hearts. They'll be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will draw close unto you suddenly like a trap. For it will come unto all of those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape and all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. All of the things that he's saying, wars and rumors of wars, we're there. Pestilences and famines, we're there. We see people that are starving still today on planet Earth. Do you know when the Haiti earthquake happened? There was enough money. I read a study. There was enough money sent by Red Cross and other types of of, of organizations to give every single person in Haiti about $162,000. And yet there's still people today that don't have houses rebuilt. 
the activity in the cosmos. I mean, what, what is God saying? I tell you what he's saying. He's shouting to the four corners of the earth. Be ready. Be ready. You don't have to be frightened by that. You don't have to be scared by that. You ought to be motivated by that. Motivated to embrace the, the difficulty of life. And embrace the difficulty of people. Tell people about Jesus. But do it in a manner as they see you as you go as Christ went. That's what it means to be a Christian. Live as Christ lived. Walk as Christ walked. Love as Christ loved. That's what's going to change the world. Mark, what if all this is nothing? This is what I I told the atheist guy. What if you're right, dude, and there's no God? I think we have to say that out loud, don't we? I've done it in my own life. I've done it at some point in my, my life, haven't you? What if there is no God? What if all of this is futile? Let me categorize what that would look like. I give of my money to help the poor, to help those that are downtrodden. I embrace a brother or sister or somebody that's in in a time of difficulty and hurt. I may go over to Jamaica and love on some people that may not get love otherwise. We we round up a bunch of people and about $7,000 and we take a trip 12 hours across the globe and go help feed four or 5,000 people in Texas. We we join in a room like this with 120-something people and we hear some beautiful music and some songs and, and maybe get passionate about something that's bigger than us. I mean, what if it's, if it's not real? What if there's no God? And all this that I'm doing is futile. At the end of the day, I die perhaps a better person. You bury me and along the way, I've given some of my money. I've helped the poor. I've embraced a brother or sister. I've counseled people. I've loved people that were hard to love. I've laughed at a joke that wasn't funny. I've traveled to Texas to feed people. I lost sleep for a greater good, but I've lost nothing. But what if the guy who's on the other side, which I would submit to you, would have to say the same thing. What if there is a God? And I live my life as though there's not. And I don't give any money. And I don't ever offer up a prayer. And I never give one a lifting of the head of encouragement of something that might be out there that's bigger than me. And that as I look at the sunrise or the sunset, and I go, hey, that's God. But he looks at it and he just says, that's the sun. If he lives his life that way and there is a God, he's lost eternity. I got nothing to lose. I'm banking my whole life on this thing. And I have nothing to lose. You know what I believe we need at Northridge? This ain't even in my notes. Free. Extra credit. I believe we need some people that are just sold out all in. That say, I don't care what the world says. I'm in. I don't care what mom and dad and sister and brother say. I love them. Praise God, I'm going to try to win them, but I'm in. Hey, I, I may not understand this tithing thing. I may, hey, I don't, I'm in, man. Here it is. You got it. Because I'll tell you this, I spent a lot of money on a lot of other things throughout the world. I never got anything back. I'll let you fill in that blank. I just, 
I'll just pray even if I don't think anything's going to happen. But I'm just going to do it anyway because I get to commune. I get to commune with him. And maybe even when they sing a song, maybe I'll just, I'll just lift my hands and don't care who's watching. I might even, because I don't even care. Because I know in whom I've believed. And I'm certain that he's faithful to, com- to continue to do what he's committed in me. I know that he's faithful to call me his own. I know that if I breathe my last on this earth, that I'm face to face with him in that very second. And I know this, if he comes today, if he comes tomorrow, if he comes next week, or if he don't come in my lifetime, I'm going to live today like this is all I got. And I'm going to swing for the fence. And I'm going to love with a boundless love. I'm going to love with a hope and a mercy. I'm going to extend forgiveness to people who aren't forgivable. And at the end of the day, maybe just maze on my epitaph. Maybe there's just a little word that just says, well done. That's all. That's it. Because you ain't going to back your hearse up to a U-Haul. You ain't taking it with you. Just serve him, man. Just love him. All I want to do tonight is just give you a precursor to how we know that he's coming back. How we know that he's coming soon. How we know that I'm not going to be left behind when all of this crazy unfolds on this earth. I'll get into that the next time. What is it going to look like for those that are left behind?